and welcome to the Record Celtic podcast. I'm Liam Bryce and today I'm joined by Kirsty Rorty and Andy Barge to look at all the latest goings on at Parkhead. On the pod today, we look ahead to the transfer window and discuss whether John McGinn is really a legitimate target for Celtic. After last week's ticket row, we ask how cutting away allocations will affect Celtic and Rangers games. And finally, we analyse Brendan Rodgers' comments on Celtic's prospects in Europe next season. So folks, just to start off, uh, we've got the transfer window as this a big topic of the moment, um, opening on the 9th of June. And as it seems to be for ages, John McGinn's name has been linked with Celtic yet again. Uh, reports coming up earlier on in the week and then uh, on the Daily Record website, uh, we had our Celtic blogger arguing the case that John McGinn is really not what Celtic should be looking for. So just can we put this one to bed today? Is as uh, Kirsty, we'll come to you first. Is John McGinn the answer for Celtic in midfield? Do they really need him? Is he good enough? I don't think so. Um, I don't think he is what they need just now. I think it's an area they're quite saturated in as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's more in terms of his, his character, his battling qualities, his gallusness, that people are linking him as being a successor to, to, to Scott Brown. Um, but no, I don't think he has the quality. But what I would say is, if anyone can develop a player, it's Rodgers, and he's, he's he's earned that right. So if he really is interested in him, I could see him developing as he has shown that he has done with other players at Celtic. But for me, he's not the answer. Uh, what do you think that? See that that's this. I think both players have actually. You know, kind of shot it down themselves. Scott Brown and John McGinn. Where do you think that comparison? Where does it come from? Is it, is it just the battling qualities, or is it something else? Yeah, as I say, I do think it is more his more his character, um, and that he's um, he's left footed, and we've got Stuart Armstrong, and he's right footed, and there's um, maybe seen as having more of the Scott Brown qualities than others. But other than that, um, I don't I don't see it. Andy, what do you think? I, I think the, f- the fact that he's a Celtic fan adds a lot of weight to this. I, I don't think Celtic will sign him. I, I, personally, I don't think he's ready to be a Celtic player yet. But you've seen it before with self-confessed Celtic fans play elsewhere. Snodgrass has been linked before McFadden when he was leaving Everton. He was linked to come to Celtic because they're fans. And I think he's a likeable guy. John McGinn, he goes about his game in a very good way. He's a good battler. Um, he puts himself about the park. And I think that is what... Kirsty's saying is, is right. It does like him to liken him to Scott Brown, but with terms of, in terms of what Celtic have got just now in centre mid with Brown and Cham Armstrong when he's fit, McGregor can play centre mid as well as well as out wide. I don't think John McGinn's better than any of them. So I think for us to even for Celtic to even consider signing John McGinn, um, one of them would have to would have to go. It's not the right time to start looking for a successor to Scott Brown yet. Um, he's still got another good few years in him and it would do John McGinn no good to come and sit on the bench he, he needs to develop his game whether it's at Celtic or elsewhere um, I just don't think he's he's a man that can yet come into the Celtic starting a living and do what's required at, at such a high level uh-huh, and It's like you were saying there that, that midfield area is it's like the word you used there Kirsty is saturated is, does mean that, I know there's maybe been a bit of speculation over Stuart Armstrong's future that he's maybe um, looking to move on there's been a bit of kind of seesawing over whether he's going to sign a new deal last year um, but do, do you think there is a way that John McGinn could force his way if it were to go through could you see him forcing his way into that midfield I can't know um, it would 
I, th I think if it came in, it would be an indication that people were moving on. Um, and uh, Stuart Armstrong has always been noises. Sham, he's, I mean, he, if he keeps going the way he's going, he will be off and for a profit. Um, but again, he's just not better than than, than what we have. Um, and then you've also got Ibui as well. And oh, yeah. Roger's obviously a huge fan of him, and yeah. as, as he said before, so it's he's yeah. not going to be going anywhere soon, yeah. you wouldn't think? No. Um, and young players that have got, I would say, more talent than, than McGinn, and um, yeah, and they've still got to develop for even further, so you know, I, I can't see where he would fit in. And I feel like he would be, if he was in, he'd be loaned out. You know. And it's not really, uh, just talking from John McGinn's perspective, is he, is he maybe going to look at it and think, well, Scott Brown's not going anywhere for at least the next yeah. couple of years? It, it would be, it, from his point of view, I know this is totally hypothetical, but it would be a, it would be a risk for, for John McGinn rather than yeah. him going to a side where he could, he could probably step in and be, again, the, as he is at Hibs, the main man. Yeah. His character's already been mentioned, I think he's a confident wee fella, but he's, he's got a lot to, to learn, I mean, he's still young. Um, and good people to learn off at Celtic, Brown, Armstrong, and the way that he uh, came on to a game um, in Rodgers' first season. But there's one thing learning off people in training and then another learning it on the park, and I'm just not convinced that he would get enough game time to, to further his development. Mm -hmm. um, so if we're, if we're talking about replacements for Scott Brown, maybe someday, um, but now I don't think it's... Uh, a realistic option for John McGinn and I don't think it's a suitable option for Celtic mm -hmm. and is, is there something as well and I think you touched on before is it just to do with the fact that he's, he's a young Scottish player and there is this kind yeah, of history of that there's a, a real big trend of this at the moment um, I think if John McGinn played in the English Championship people wouldn't rate him as much it's because he's kind of one of our own in Scotland and he's still playing his trade up here people and I hate saying it but I think people are desperate to desperate to see how good he is and, and desperate to, to put him on a pedestal because he plays in the Scottish leagues whereas I think you've got players down south that we're getting away from the subject here but you get players down south that I think are probably like Barry Bannon for example I would say he's just as good probably better than John McGinn because he plays in the English Championship people don't see him as much he's not really as highly rated about uh, spoken about or rated Whereas because John McGinn is up here, I think that people see more of him and therefore they're desperate to kind of say that he's he's at that level when, in fact, I don't think he actually is yet. And we saw that in the Scotland game the other night, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And just uh, bit in general, in the, the sort of Celtic transfer front, it's been a wee bit quiet. This only Obviously, Edward's sort of bubbling along kind of nicely. That's All the noises seem to be quite yeah. positive on that. We'll come to that shortly. Um, but just to touch on, there was an outgoing um, at the start of the week. There, Alex Fiachenko, pretty widely expected that he was he was going to move on. Um, but it's a it's it's now sort of down at a centre back in the squad. The, the, a lot of the talk on this podcast this this season has been about Celtic at the back. Now, do we expect Brendan Rodgers, Kirsty, to to go out and look for another centre back during the summer because of obviously Celtic have had their had their issues there this season. Yeah, I expect him to strengthen, and I mean, you're arguably coming down too with Boyata. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely expect him to strengthen in that area, and it would really be nice to see Celtic prioritise that in the coming this transfer window next if it needs it as well, because um, it's a dirty word at Parkhead, it has been historically. So, that's where they really, really do need to strengthen and expect them to but I think it'll probably be somebody again 
out of left field and that we've not really heard of, you know, and that we really don't have a lot of knowledge of and uh, somebody kind of different and somebody that they spot again potential in and bring bring in and bring through um, but yeah with um, Eric moving on definitely expect him to bring in another yeah. defender I think the fans will miss Svitchenko he's a passionate guy and the fans love passion um, I don't think he was I don't think he's worse than anything that Celtic have at the moment at centre back I wonder though if his departure signals that maybe that finally Celtic fans will get to see a bit of Marvin Comper <laughs> if he'll come in from the cold uh-huh. Or if Jack Hendry now is going to be prioritised, Ayer has just been given a new deal. Roger seems to like Boyata. I'm not sure why or <laughs> <laughs> where it comes from. But um, oh, we've been over and yeah, over that over one. Nobody's been able to figure yeah. that out. Um, so yeah, unless he's unless the behind the scenes the scouting team and Rogers have got somebody in mind, I wonder that if they're already planning to prioritise and push someone that's at the club. Yeah, well, uh, just coming back to it, maybe assuming that. There is maybe going to be somebody coming in, and you said there yourself, there, you'd think there would be somebody identified already because you, mm-hmm. they, they, the, the sort of the big sort of issue, I and mean, you can kind of get away with it domestically for the most part. But it's been in Europe that at the back that Celtic sort of deficiencies yeah. have been exposed. So if they're going to bring somebody in, you'd think there's going to be a bit of movement on that sooner rather than later, considering how soon the qualifiers. Do you yeah. agree with that? Do you think? See something soon. Uh, yeah. I remember last year Simonovic was touted for heading to Italy for four or five million, and we all, we said the fans all thought, "Oh, no chance," and we don't want them go for that price. And then throughout the season, you kind of think maybe, maybe that should have been accepted. Uh, it was up eight money, million at one uh, point, I remember. Money, money should, should that that can kind of offer should have been accepted, and then the money put into finding somebody better. You know, it's, it's been such a problem position for Celtic, and I, I can't see that long term. Especially with a manager like Rogers, he can't surely surely can't settle for having Boyata and then either one of Ayer or Hendry and Compen at the back. It needs to be better for European competition. And somebody with some experience, which we thought we were getting an in Compen, but we've not seen enough of him, and that's been a really strange kind of episode. But um, Boyata as well, you forget, isn't young? He's twenty seven, um, but he makes just you know far too many howling mistakes. Uh, so I'd like to see somebody with that experience in there with uh, the younger guys that we've got Henry Ayer you know yeah, I think really the, anchor especially in Europe mm, whatever centre back does come in if, if any do it's kind of going to be a bit of a watershed moment I think for Congleton because the last couple of signings haven't haven't been a great um, Musonda was a disaster Compers done nothing um, Celtic need a centre back and this is a, a big moment um, if one does come in it, it can't it can't be a centre-back that needs a season to settle. It needs to be someone that can just come in, hit the ground running and improve the team. These guys are hard to find, these yeah. days, aren't they? You know, it's kind of seemed quite thin on the ground. Uh, at the other end of the park, um, we've got Odson Edwards, who really came into his own towards the end of the season. And as I said before, all the, the noises from Celtic seem to be quite positive, thinking that they're, they're going to get him in. Uh, full time. We've all kind of agreed on the podcast before that uh, that'd be a good signing. A lot of potential again there down the line. Resale value, um, but just the here and now. You know, if Edward was to come in on a full time deal, then what do we? How does how does that then affect um, the other two top strikers in the squad? We've got Lee Griffiths and Musa Dembele. Does it? Does Edward coming in a permanent deal suggest that? Do we think that Dembele is definitely going to be away this summer? And then, how does how does then that affect Griffiths? 
who does, does he going to be content again for a, a sort of more of a, a reduced role next season? I don't think Edward signing permanently would affect Griffith's um, position as a, a squad member. I don't think. I don't think if if Edward comes in, I don't think Celtic will rush to sell Griffiths. But Griffiths might become unsettled by it. I mean, Griffiths is too good to sit on a bench. Um, I think Dembele will be away, and that's why Celtic are pushing for Edward at the moment. I don't think um, Griffiths' future will be decided by the sale of Dembele or the signing of Edward from Celtic's point of view. But from his point of view, if Celtic prioritise Edward next season over him, then I think that might ruffle his feathers a wee bit and he, he might look elsewhere. It should be a shame because he's such an asset to the to the team and Scottish football in general. And when he we've seen it with the national team, he, when he was brought into the Scotland team, he was he hit the ground running, and because of his form at Celtic, you would have to hope he can replicate that elsewhere. And but I think he's a perfect fit to be honest up here, um, and it would be a shame if he's got a bit of a I don't want to say cult status, but I don't know anyone that dislikes him. Yeah. Um, so it'd be a shame if it, if it if he did have to move on, because um, personally I don't think that Edward's any better than him. It's just this it's kind of style of striker that Rogers seems to prefer. Prefer, Kirsty, what do you think if Celtic are to break their transfer record on Edward? How is, is Griffiths going to look at that and think, well, they're, they're paying that much money for him, then he's going to play, and then how would that how would that affect me? Do you think he could look at it that way yeah, at all? And be worried that he was just going to increasingly be used as a impact sub. Um, I think again, if you're shelling out that kind of money, then Eduardo is going to be starting. He's going to be. Yeah, but I'd be really, really sad to see Dembele go. I mean, from the over the season, Dembele Griffiths, Dembele would be my first choice each time. As much as I like Griffiths, but um, Dembele would be my first choice. But I'd be really sorry to see him go. And I think he needs another season or so with us. You think he should stay another, another, another should. year? Yeah. I think he should stay. Dembele. Yeah, and, and develop further. I think he should. Yeah. Because he, I know he, he really he did look sort of back to his best towards the end of the season there, but it was very stop start for him. I think it's easy to forget how you know he, really, he was kind of really struggling around about Christmas time, wasn't he? Yeah, and some frustrations were creeping in with fans and stuff as well. He had injuries, but he's one of those when he comes back, he takes a right few games to get up to speed and to get back into it again. And um, there were some frustrations in some games. I kind of almost disinterested look at that kind of Samaris-esque, you know, like somewhere else, you know, but when he's he's one of those that is really mood-driven and you can see it in his eyes, he's on it and for the big games and he is an absolute menace and he's lethal so, um, yeah, he's he's my favoured striker and yeah, I really hope he, he doesn't move on yet. Right, if we could just take things off of the park uh, for a couple of minutes to the great soap opera that is Scottish football uh, well last week Rangers deciding to cut the away allocation at uh, Ibrooks, which obviously has you know big knock on effects for Celtic and then Celtic responding with their own statement what do we what do we make of this how is, it, how is this going to affect the fixture Look, Rangers are well within their rights to do that their priority should be doing whatever they can to beat Celtic and close the gap at the top if they feel that more fans or more of their own fans in Ibrox for Old Firm Games is going to do that fine they, they're well within the rights to make that move they can't do that and then not expect Celtic to do the same thing so I think in first instance Rangers fans I've seen it all over Twitter were really unhappy with the news that their club did this because they knew that Celtic were going to do the same thing and that was going to take away their away day at Parkhead 
So it, it works both ways. Now, it's bad news for any TV deal, I feel, because you want to see both fans full of colour on an old firm day, the telly, uh, the telly right, uh, sorry, the telly companies want that. But it's not Rangers or Celtic's priority, um, how the stadium looks on TV, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, the, the atmosphere the atmosphere on Old Firm Day changes with the result, whoever's winning, losing, whatever stadium it's in. But if Rangers do, if when Rangers made the decision to, to cut the allocation for Celtic fans, Celtic had no option really but to, to do the same. And uh, it will affect the fixture in a negative way, in my opinion. Kirsty, do you agree? Yeah, I think it will affect the atmosphere and you want as, as many away fans in the stadium. It's such a colourful, passionate, you know, um, derby that yeah, um, cutting the allocation I think it will have a negative impact on on the fixture um, and then it's kind of going to now degenerate into this childish tit for tat yeah. yeah, you know? you know, and it kind of actually started with his but then Hibs getting involved again will cut this and then other teams are going to cut and yeah it's all getting a bit unsavoury because you know, one of the the, the, the biggest Sort of selling points of the derby is the atmosphere. So now we, you know, we can. It's entertainment, obviously, but it's you know you're not selling up on the way you would El Clasico, the quality of football mm-hmm. superstars. You're selling it as this this huge occasion that's blood yeah. and thunder stuff. Yeah. You're just kind of diluting that a wee bit by because I mean you see, it, it likes El Clasico and the away team scores and it's just yeah. it's, it's silence. There's there's hardly well, any. Two, two examples that I would I would use for that are obviously when Celtic score at the Celtic end at Ibrox like Edward last season or Sinclair the season before when the telecameras are right on it it does look great and then when like for example when Clint Hill scored the last minute equaliser at Parkhead the cameras are right there in front of the Rangers fans all the players run into their fans and it does look great from our point of view if you're at the game or not it, it is brilliant and the atmospheres are electric but is that what Celtic and Rangers, or well, Rangers in this instance, because it was their decision? Is that their priority to worry about that though? Do they should they not be thinking, wow, right, okay, we've got a new manager coming in, Stephen Gerrard, and we need to do whatever we can to close the gap in Celtic. Celtic have got a bit of advantage by having that many fans at Ibrox Road from day, so we'll get rid of them, and hopefully that can help us close the gap. When Celtic hear that, obviously they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But from Rangers' point of view, you wonder if it's a decision that they've taken because it's obviously going to benefit them personally rather than the league as a whole uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah Kirsty would you, you agree with that yeah, as well yeah. yeah I mean you can understand why it's been done and they're using anything to give them an edge and any kind of psychological advantages and, and looking at money as well for next season the yeah. Gerard appointment as well is designed you know to to get to Celtic as well signing um Rogers ex-captain so they're doing anything they can to their priorities stopping 10 in a row stopping Celtic mm. so you can understand why they've done it more season tickets will be sold as well but yeah it is going to have an impact on the game especially when they are you know, they feed off of that that bitterness and that anger and that passion so um, they're quieter than they used to be as well so this is just going to further take a bit of more of the passion and mood down a little uh-huh uh-huh um, and just back to you know Celtic specifically, the big thing obviously again next season is going to be getting into Europe, um, and hopefully from Celtic fans' point of view making a wee bit more progress uh, on from last season. 
Uh, Brendan Rodgers has been talking this week about his uh, his take on it, his ambitions for Europe next season, and, and he's been quite you know he's been quite open and honest that he's he's been saying uh, that in terms of you know really competing at that level that Celtic are still you know so, so far off um, in terms of you know the, the the really the really top clubs the big clubs. What do we you know does it what they make of those comments is there's a kind of acceptance among Celtic fans that it's just a different world at uh, that level isn't it I think I think there's an aspect of delusion among some fans that Celtic should be aiming to reach the last 16 but it's nonsense for me to reach the group stage is an achievement in itself what Celtic did last season although it was a relatively poor group stage campaign they managed, they managed to get into the Europa and that's acceptable, more than acceptable for me at the moment the quality of the teams in the group stage is phenomenal and yes Celtic have in the past taken teams on at Parkhead and even had a few away results but these days with the money involved that the elite clubs are getting it's it's like it's it's like asking Hamilton Hackies or Partick to beat Celtic four times a season that, that kind of thing it's 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 never going to happen Celtic reaching the last 32 of the Europa and being able to put themselves against teams that are brilliant like such as Zenit but slightly down from those kind of Barca and Bayern clubs is more than good enough for Celtic fans at the moment I would think and Rodgers as well he talk, talk, talking about the Europa League there he's referred to it as almost Champions League 2 nowadays is it is that like even in that tournament as well could we see the, the sort of playing field continuing to you know, teams getting further and further away from each other. I think that the way it is in the Champions League, could you see that happen in the yeah, Europa League as yeah. well? The gap just increasingly widens for us from Europe, and it's all reversal for Celtic when they step into to Europe. Um, it's just really difficult to make an impact. I think all they want to do is just be as competitive as they can and minimise, like you know, not record thrashings, not record you know score lines at homes, you know, because that does nothing for your confidence. Just being competitive, and then if you can maybe claim one big scalp, you're boosted for yeah. the rest of the campaign. Or if you do, then go into Europa or for the, your next stab at it next season. So, really, just going out there, being competitive and giving a good account of yourself. That's the best they can ask until they develop further. Yeah, the the seven nils need to stop. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think Celtic need to turn back the clock a wee bit not not so long ago especially under Lennon and Strachan Parkhead was an absolute fortress it's completely other side of the coin now I really have no idea what's happened because it's not as if it's less noisy um, I wouldn't say the players are worse or anything like that I mean Celtic have still got a really good squad but for some reason they just can't overcome that giant at Parkhead anymore or even teams on a similar scale to them I mean I'll make a comparison here between Anderlecht Although Celtic beat them away this season, Anderlecht outplayed Celtic at Parkhead, in my opinion. Whereas a couple of years ago, Benfica were getting beaten at, at Parkhead around similar times to Man United and, and Barca. That that needs to be an aim again to be able, like Kirsty was saying, to be able to just be competitive and not allow even the big teams like PSG to come to Parkhead and just roll over Celtic. Celtic aren't going to reach the last 16 anytime soon I would imagine it would be a miracle but the thrashings need to stop and uh, to be able to turn Parkhead into more of a fortress we saw glimpses of it against Bayern Munich last season where Celtic played really really well but again just fell away when the pressure when, when Bayern turned up the pressure a wee bit so in my opinion yeah last 32 of Europa is a really really good um, achievement but the thrashings need to stop mm. absolutely hopefully though if they do 
strengthened defence as we were talking about earlier. That might help with making um, a fortress again. Um, but what we would probably need is a kind of skush Manchester United group. We need to be that lucky rather than <laughs> so unlucky with groups. Yeah. And uh-huh. stop meeting, you know, yeah, your PhDs and your your Barca's. Uh-huh. That would be good. So what is it now among Celtic fans? Do you think there was there is there has been an element at times of you know well Celtic not going to win this competition so. Do fans would fans rather come up against the big guns and get those you know those big nights, or do they are they are they at the stage now where they're like, well, we, I think we could we it, could do with you know are we not getting the short straw yeah, this time? It, it, well, it wouldn't be a Champions League. It wouldn't be a proper Champions League campaign without a huge European name coming to Parkhead on our away day in Madrid or Barcelona, or whatever Munich. But it would be nice to have a team where. Where Celtic aren't the underdog, where we can, we're like we had a, a group, Celtic had a group not too long ago where Ajax were in it and they were really battling games home and away because there was no favourite, like it was oh, either team could win this. Yeah. And like last season, it's good to have a team like that in it where you think, right, okay, we're in with a chance here. If, if we take four points off them, that could be it. So I think that's what Celtic need to hope for um, in, in all the draws. There's always going to be an unbelievable elite team, then a, then a team that's up there but not in the elite you know like mm-hmm. a, a Dortmund or something like that and then a team that um, from Celtic's point of view needs to be on their level or below um, so that they can aim to take four points off three or four points off them and, and get into the Europa League Yeah, Just to bring it back to uh, Roger's comments a wee minute Kirsty uh, he's, he's, he, he made that admission that you know Celtic were still miles away from being really competitive at this level but he was quite keen to say as well that you know that doesn't mean that I'm not fighting to to make improvements here, and we touched on uh, the home forum where Parkhead used to, as Andy said, that it was a fortress, and we were kind of th- thinking beforehand, like how how do they, they bridge that gap? Is the first is the first thing got to be uh, making Parkhead into that into that fortress again? Does that got to be the first priority? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because. Um once you do that, um, you know you've got you've got much more of a chance of of, of progressing. Um, so it just has to make sure uh, that he sorts out the defence for Europe. Um, that's got to be a big big priority. Um, and um, yeah, and keep nurturing the players that he's that he's got. Um, and I think they could develop, you know, like year on year. But um, it's extremely difficult for them. Uh huh. And. In terms, you touched on there, Andy, as well, about getting that more favourable draw, but it obviously becomes much more difficult when you are one of the sides in pot four, um, and we've got the, the season's barely ended, and we've got the Champions League qualifiers almost round the corner. Uh, reformatted this year, Celtic will have to go through four, four qualifiers to get. Is this the hardest it's ever been to qualify for the Champions League? Well, these changes, do we yeah. think? Yeah. Four rounds is excessive yes. for a team that wins a title, isn't Far it? Too much, yeah. It's not right. I mean, you're already disadvantaged, so um, I think there's just made far too difficult yep. for us, and it's unfair. It's really grossly unfair. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Celtic are going to have to use a lot of squad rotation. It's going to be so important um, in the qualifiers. Transfer window will be interesting um, if a centre back is brought in um, before the deadline. If if Celtic, but if it is harder than ever, but if Celtic can. Can reach the group stage. It's job, job done. Six Champions League games guaranteed, and hopefully, Money in the bank again. Yeah, and hopefully more in the Europa League. I mean, when we were talking about Fortress as well. It's psychological now when you've come off the back of 
record beatings at home and that really doesn't help your players so if they can be a bit more competitive this season then over the like next few seasons or campaigns in Europe you're going to see I think them emboldened and more confident but because they've had such scalpings like it gets inside players' heads and I think there is now that psychological because there was, there's times and opportunities in games in Europe this season where they had opportunities um, but they weren't able to capitalise on them or they capitulated and, and you just see with like you know your sevens and all the rest you've just capitulated your minds went rather yeah. than what you know you're able to do on the pitch so yeah if they can be more competitive maybe claim one big scalp then I can see them it's a, being boosted a change in yeah, mentality you mentioned the, yeah you mentioned that mentality is there because it's I think what was a kind of feature of a lot of those beatings was the goals seemed to come in bursts where it was they yeah. would Celtic would lose one and then suddenly mm-hmm. it's two and three that I suppose that that needs to stop as well doesn't it yeah you said and that, that, that that's, it's like as you said that I think that does come down to a mentality thing doesn't yeah. it you can see that that's ahead rather than their ability out there they've, they've completely you can see them being completely overawed by PSG you could see it um, in your man cities and um, hopefully that needs to stop because I thought after an invincible season they would really be you know chess out and, yeah. and really confident in themselves but it's so hard when you're coming against teams that spend that kind of money and have those kind of stars it's so hard not to be dazzled and have because uh-huh. um, there's actually a fair money. amount of optimism I remember going into that first PSG game and then afterwards it was you know it was back down to earth where it was a, a rude awakening wasn't uh-huh. it yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and as we say as well the, the qualifiers starting so early this year there's the the chance that Celtic could be without um, a few players um, because these kind of these qualifiers are going to run alongside the World Cup Um, so it's the the first Champions League the the first qualifying rounds aren't really ever presenting much of a problem I know they had the Gibraltar result but that was you know that was a complete um, freak but are these uh, these games coming so early is it a chance for you know the guys who don't always play to make an early an early impression. Aye, it's a chance. Celtic have been a lot more bothered if Scotland is qualified yeah. this summer. <laughs> but um, now there's obviously Celtic should be able to get through the first couple of rounds without Tom Rogic and Boyata. You uh-huh. know, so it should be fine. Um, so if the players can get themselves into good nick for the World Cup finishing and come back after the re break, then it's full steam ahead. Um, I don't see any. Like Celtic have had some tough draws, sure, with Rosenborg yeah, and then Bersheva and uh, Astana. They've done it the hard way at times. Maybe this new qualifying will suit Celtic and like to do it the hard way. Yeah. But um, yeah, Celtic should have what it takes to at least reach the third or the playoff round without relying on their heavy hitters. Yeah, I would like. I would like to think so anyway. If you want to check out uh, how Celtic can make it to the the Champions League qualifiers, we've done a full feature on the Daily Record website. It takes you through the, the qualifying stages step by step. Uh, that's all from us this week. I want to thank Kirsty and Andy for joining me. Uh, and if you want to continue the debate, you can find us on Twitter at Record Sport and we're on Facebook as well. We'll be back next week to talk all things Celtic. So don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Acast to get the podcast as soon as it's available. And you can also rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.